So how did you come to this conclusion that these two parties are not actually trying to work in the people's interest? When did that click for you? It clicked for me over something very simplistic, Andrew. The fact that they have built an entire political system based upon the concept of bribery. The only way you're going to get an audience with any elected official of a Democrat or Republican persuasion is bring a check. You know, don't bring your problem, bring a check with your problem. And then you'll at least get your audience. See, they've turned our system into a complete system of bribery. And what's weird about that is that if you do that in the private sector, you go to jail. It is my pleasure, I'm going to say honor, my honor and privilege to welcome to Forward perhaps the greatest independent politician, though he calls himself a statesman, I think that's accurate. So the independent statesman of our time, former governor of Minnesota and a childhood hero of mine, Jesse the Body Ventura. Welcome, Jesse. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. It's great to be here. Like I said, uh, uh, I saw you that first time at the at the Democratic convention, and you popped out to me immediately because I immediately said, this man is not going to stay with the Democrats for very long. And sure enough, I was right again. And no, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be here, Andrew. It's wonderful to hear about the forward party movement in America. All I can say is good luck and anything I can do to help, I'm here. Well, super grateful. And we're going to need your help. We're going to take you up on that in a big way. So on a personal note, you just got a new car. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'm in a great mood. I, uh, I got a, my new car was just delivered to me on Friday and uh, it's a brand new Tesla. And uh, I'm 70 years old now, and I can proudly say I own the fastest car currently on the planet. I'll tell you why. I, I, drive, I don't drive fast anymore, I, and I'm probably, I won't even probably break the speed limit that much with this car. But I will admit to one thing. I'm a person who occasionally needs an adrenaline rush. We all know that feeling that you, occasionally I got to have that. You know, I had 34 parachute jumps. I've done a lot of things in my life that give me that type of adrenaline rush. And the Tesla can do that. And I was informed what's great about it. You can achieve that adrenaline rush on the down ramp. <laughs> I mean, just going down to enter the freeway, you can do it for that split second, like a ride at the fair. But uh, I need that. And it's just kind of fun to do it. And, and the other reason, Andrew, is... I wanted to eliminate my carbon footprint personally. Uh, this is my second Tesla. I bought my wife one. I got her the, uh, the, the little hatchback. And uh, I did my entire home solar three years ago. And for the last two years, XL Energy in February sends me a check. So I get all my electricity from the sun on my house now. And now I have all my electricity that powers my two Teslas likewise come from the sun. So the sun is powering my house and my cars. 
And I'm extremely proud of that. You know, whether it'll pay me back in the long run, I don't know. I don't care. I'm, you know, at my age, but I feel good about it that Jesse Ventura is not contributing to climate change. Yeah, you've been a champion of the environment. Um, as a political independent since before it was cool. So I, I re referenced your being a childhood uh, idol of mine, which you were from your days as a WWE commentator. Uh, I don't know if you saw that I kind you of- You didn't like, you, wait, 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 you didn't like my wrestling? So your, res your wrestling predated me a little bit. Wait, 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 don't just <laughs> limit me to a commentator, you know, Andrew. I actually stepped into the ring for 13, 14 plus years. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know that you were a wrestler, but uh, you know, your wrestling predated my, um, uh, <laughs> my fandom oh, by, by, by a little wait, bit. Only because, let me clarify that, only because I got injured. Yeah, the, the night before I was due to wrestle Hogan for the world for the WWF championship is when I went down to blood clots in my lungs, which derailed my wrestling career. Otherwise, I would have gone around the entire circuit with Hogan, and you would have been much more aware of my wrestling. But because of an injury that curtailed me, and then of course I fell into the broadcasting end. But continue. I'm sorry. No, not at all. I mean, you you were, in my view, the best broadcaster. Uh, you had your uh, sense of humor, uh, you know, built in. Uh, you had your own perspective. Um, and I don't know if you saw, but when I was running for president, I ran afoul of Vince McMahon by uh, calling for better treatment of wrestlers or performers. Um, I think there should be an association <laughs> or a, a, a union. Um, I think it's exploitative what's gone on with them. I'm friends with a number of uh, wrestlers and performers. It seems that you predated me on that by uh, a number of decades. <laughs> yeah, no, way, way back when, uh, during when WrestleManias were just starting, we had just had WrestleMania one, and we were still in a huge battle with the Charlotte territory for who was going to be number one. We were number one because of WrestleMania, the first one. But they were barking at our heels. They had Ric Flair. They had a lot of terrific talent down there in, in the NWA at the time and Atlanta with WCW. And so uh, it was, we were approaching WrestleMania two, And that was the one where we were going to be in three different places, LA, Chicago, and I think Long Island, if I, my recollection is correct. I was in the LA one. It, it had always bothered me as a wrestler that we had, we, well, uh, let me backtrack there. I had been on an elevator in Vegas, and onto the elevator came Gene Upshaw, the former old all-pro Hall of Fame guard of the Oakland Raiders. And Big Gene got on that elevator, and he, we recognized each other, said hi to each other. And first thing out of Big Gene's mouth to me, he pointed big, lifted up that big finger of his into the air, and he says, you boys in wrestling need a union because see he was head of the national football leagues player association he was their union head at the time i looked at him gene i said you're you're speaking to the crowd that agrees with you you know you're damn right we do and so that stuck in me and when i went to mania or this wasn't mania when i went to the event that night all of the people from the office were out of the room in the locker room and i stood up on the chair and I said, guys, now is the time we can unionize. I said, all the publicity has gone out on WrestleMania 2. 
All we have to do is stick together, go to the press and say, we are refusing to wrestle unless union people are brought in and we're allowed to talk to them. I said, federal law grants us that. I said, they would have to break federal law to stop us. I was pleading with them. Uh, and, and one guy yelled out, well, we need Hogan. I said, no, we don't. I said, all we need is Bundy. That's who he's wrestling. Hogan's got to wrestle somebody. He can't wrestle a broomstick, you know? And so I said, as long as Bundy's on board with us, all of us, and then let's get a hold of Charlotte. Let's get a hold of the boys down in Atlanta. And let's, all we have to do is say, we are not wrestling unless we're allowed to unionize. I said, who do you think runs these buildings? Union people. They turn the lights on. They do all the main, they, do, they run the buildings. If they honor our request, we could shut down Vince's WrestleMania until he lets us unionize. So I gave my speech. I flew home that night. The next day, my phone rang. Vince, well, uh, Jesse, what's this you getting on the high horse union? He reams me out for it. And I came back at him and I said, well, Vince, I'm not talking about a union just to fight you. I said, I'm talking about benefits. I said, right now, I pay over $5,000 a year for health care for me and my kids. I said, if I had a union, that price would drop. I said, I see all these old wrestlers who now don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. They spent 20, 25 years in this business and it rewards them with nothing. I said, Vince, we're not financial planners. We're wrestlers. <laughs> I said, we, we're not the greatest at looking to the future and seeing what we need to do today in order to someday if we reach 60 years old. I said, that's what we need a union for. And so Vince, you know, da, 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 da. and so what it was, Andrew, here's what happened. I was immediately leaving to do Predator. So I, Vince then wouldn't let me and I had to quit. I quit wow. and went, did Predator. But in order to do Predator, I had to join the Screen Actors Guild. I now had a union. So when I then came back to Vince, I said to him during the negotiations, I said, well, Vince, I said, you don't have to worry about me yelling about the union no more. He said, oh, really? Why not? I said, I got mine. I said, if the rest of these guys are too chicken shit or don't want to put it up to stand up for it, I'm not going to get my head cut off no more. I got my union. I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild and will be till I retire and I get health benefits from them, everything. Everything that you won't provide, they do. So you don't have to worry. I'm not going to do that. Well, later on, when I sued Vince for royalties and beat him, during the depositions, I told my attorneys, because you can ask about anything in a deposition. I said, I told them the whole story and I had great attorneys. I said, if you can find out, please find out who ratted me. Who was the guy who of, of the wrestlers ratted me out that day that I stood up and tried to unionize or offered them the ability to balls it out and see if we could do it. Yep. So during the deposition, my attorney goes, well, Mr. McMahon, he goes, uh, other sports have unions. He goes, is there, is there a union in wrestling? And Vince, of course, answers no, under oath. 
Uh, my attorney goes, well, has anyone ever tried to form a union in wrestling? And Vince sat a moment and paused and he goes, well, yeah. He said, I think, and he pointed to me across the table. I think, uh, yeah, I think Jesse Ventura spouted his mouth off about it once or whatever. I, I seem to remember that. And my attorney said, well, did you hear Mr. Ventura do this? And Vince goes, no. And my attorney said, well, then how do you know he did? And with no hesitation, Hulk Hogan told me. Then he also admitted it on, on, on Larry King because Vince got on Larry King and Larry brought it that up saying the thing about union. Is it true that it was Hulk? And Vince admitted there that it was Hulk Hogan to told him, well, here's why Hulk ratted us and why Hulk didn't want a union. Later on, during my court case with McMahon, we had through discovery, the entire payoff of WrestleMania three. Now, Andrew, that's the big one in the Pontiac Silverdome where we broke the world's record oh, I remember. for indoor Andre attendance. The Giant, Savage Steamboat, I remember it well. Yeah, versus Hogan, right? Yeah. Well, we got the list. Here's why Hogan didn't want a union. Because I saw how everyone got paid for WrestleMania three. Hulk Hogan got more money than all the rest of us combined. So if you, including Andre, so if you included Andre and every other wrestler wow, who was on WrestleMania three, Hogan got paid more than all of us combined. Now, if there was a union, something like that would not happen because you couldn't see a disparity to that level. I mean, Andre should have been paid equal to Hogan. Sure. They're the same match. They were the same draw. But you can bet who went to the bank that day, the boy who was being taken care of because there wasn't any union. So that showed me clearly why Hogan didn't want a union, because he was getting taken care of. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. 
so did that end up affecting your relationship with Hogan because you guys were friends? Uh, oh yeah, never have taught have I talked to him since. Yeah, and when I learned that, I thought, well, he's an o- the only friend he has is himself. You know, that's that's who his friend is. And I thought, so no, I've not spoken to him. A funny story. Uh, here's another good one for you, Andrew. Later on, when I was governor, and I get a call from Vince McMahon. I mean, what the hell's Vince calling me? I mean, this is 19, 2000, whenever the hell it was. I hadn't even been, yeah. it's been a decade. Hogan is on the book tour and he's supposed to come to Minneapolis. Hogan is now worried because I'm governor that, you know, he got in some trouble here where he was accused of sexual assault. I don't even know what, how they bought their way out of it in the end or whatever prevailed. I never kept track of it. The call from Vince was because Hogan had fear that if he came to Minnesota, that I as governor would have him arrested. You know what I told Vince, Andrew? What? Please tell Hogan, this is directly from the governor of the state of Minnesota that I have far more important things to deal with than whatever Hulk Hogan in his little world happens to be doing. And I said, give that message to him personally. <laughs> I'm sure Vince delivered it. <laughs> well, well, you know, I got, I got the Dems to deal with, the Republicans to deal with, probably a budget, who knows everything. You know, let me assure you, Andrew, when you're the governor of the state, your plate's full. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I bet. So you leave then the WWF in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. Yep. You become mayor of a town in Minnesota, sixth largest city. Sixth largest city, and then you run for governor and win against all odds. No one sees it coming. Uh, you saw it coming. You had a really unconventional campaign, um, advertising. Uh, voting against politics as usual, which, you know, I, I dare say makes you something of a pioneer or trailblazer, because I think people have been fed up with politics as usual since at least 1998, which is when this election was. And you you won. So when that campaign was going on, um, people gave you very, very long odds. Did you see the, the path to victory? Yes, I did. Because uh, I always saw a path of victory, and here's, here's the path, in my opinion, Andrew. Minnesota generally leads the nation in voter turnout. It's always between us and Maine. When Angus King was gov- independent governor of Maine and I was the independent governor of Minnesota, we'd always have a bet who was going to have the higher voter turnout, in the, in the, and Minnesota would always prevail by a percentage point or two. So Minnesota generally leads the nation in voter turnout, but that wasn't what compelled me to believe I could win. Our voter turnout is so pathetic in the United States of America. In an, here's what they predicted my election year. It was non-presidential. They predicted a 50% voter turnout. And that's the voter turnout that leads the nation so, Andrew, I went into this election like I did wrestling. I went in going, 50% of the people of Minnesota are potentially there for my vote. All I have to do is motivate this 50% that's out there that is not voting to simply take an hour of their time and go vote, and it don't cost them nothing, you know? And it turned out I was ident- absolutely correct. 
Do you know what the voter turned out in my election after all the experts predicted it would be a 50% voter turnout because it was non-presidential? I'm going to say 65. No, not that high, just 60. Still, that's a lot higher. But that 10%, Andrew, I was polling 27% the day before the election. That 10% they didn't count on took me to 37, and I won. So I knew that I had a pool of voters out there. Half of Minnesota was available for me to defeat these guys. That's how bad they are. Well, you were spot on there, and you served as governor through one term, didn't run for re-election in part because you had a very combative relationship with the media, which is something I can relate to. Uh, there were a lot of things about your career that I, I think are remarkable, and you're now one of the preeminent leaders and thinkers on independent politics. Um, so a, a lot of folks look up and say, hey, third parties can't compete. Um, you ran under the Reform Party banner, is that right? Uh, yes, we were the Independence Party first. Senator Dean Barkley ran in a, in a statewide race and as an Independence Party candidate. He got over 5%, which is the qualification mark in Minnesota. If the party gets a statewide candidate that gets over 5%, you have major party status. So we were the Independence Party of Minnesota. Then, of course, came the rise up of Ross Perot's Reform Party out of Texas. And so we affiliated with them for about two years until we realized it wasn't truly a third party movement. It was simply a Ross Perot movement. He, he wouldn't let it expand or grow beyond him. So I, we then disaffiliated when I was governor back to being the Independence Party of Minnesota. So yes, I was elected and was the highest ever, I think, elected official from the then Reform Party of America. But we were the Independence Party before and ended up the Independence Party again by the time I got out of office. So let's say someone's trying to replicate the conditions of your race. Uh, so you had a few advantages. One, you were famous. <laughs> uh, you or had, infamous. Or infamous. <laughs> uh, you, you had a very, very clear public persona. Um, you were a national figure and presence. I remember hearing about your winning uh, that race and it being national news. I mean, it, it was a big deal. So if people who are trying to follow in your footsteps uh, and they look up and say, okay, how can we recreate the conditions? So Minnesota is an above average environment. Uh, it's got a real uh, strain of independent voting um, and its history and a high turnout. Uh, you're a singular candidate. There are other candidates who are trying to make the same magic happen. I'll call out one. Uh, Betsy Johnson, who's running as an independent in Oregon uh, this fall. I don't suppose you know Betsy. I, I don't think I don't think I've met her. I don't know, but I might be wrong. No, no, it's fine. So for those people who are looking at uh, that particular race, like I think Betsy's got a real shot at it. She's polling somewhere in the 20s. Uh, she's raised a lot of money because people are fed up with politics as usual. But there hasn't been, uh, as I'm thinking about it, um, someone else who's done what you've done uh, since your victory. Is that correct? Has there been another independent governor? 
Well, there, there was an independent governor right with me. He just never got press. And he's now a U.S. senator independent from Maine, Angus King. Yeah, yeah he caucuses with the Democrats, Angus does. And, and Angus is a good friend of mine, you know, because uh, the fun story when at the National Governors Association, when you all go out to Washington and go meet the president and all that. Well, on the second day out there, Andrew, they have a building where all the Republican governors meet in this building. All the Democratic governors meet in that building. Well, that left Angus and me, and they didn't accommodate us. There was there nothing a, there done. Wasn't third, there wasn't a third building. <laughs> yeah, there was. There was nothing done to accommodate Angus and I. So what we did, we walked down Constitution Avenue, sat down on the park bench on a beautiful sunny day, and we caucused right there. And the fun part was, all the media followed us. We had the media. 12 deep with me and Angus King, because I was the spotlight anyway, and I'm there with Angus, the other independent governor, and we announced this is the independent governor caucus. And we said, please step back far enough so Angus and I can talk in private and not be overheard by media, because we'd want the same type of thing. You're not allowed in their caucuses, so we don't want you overhearing what we talk about. There could be personal things, who knows? Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, and you two would be a much more fascinating uh, convo. <laughs> I'm, so I'm sure so than... getting back to what you said, Andrew, is yes, there wa there is another example of an independent candidate, Angus King, who won the state of Maine multiple times. Yeah, and, and he doesn't get the press he deserves. I agree. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. You had something of a contentious relationship with the press when you were governor. You actually credited that as one reason why um, you didn't necessarily want to serve a second term because it put a lot of pressure on your uh, family members, your personal life. I had some experience with this myself when I ran for mayor of New York City. The press was really uh, very adversarial and odd. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and there was part of me that was like, you know, I think that there's just some institutional resistance to any figure that they consider an outsider uh, who comes into power. 
did you experience the same thing? And in your case, it'd be even more bizarre because you'd been a mayor for a number of years prior. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was uh, it was very difficult. I, I but I had a cantankerous relationship to the press and I gave it back to them as much as they gave it to me. You know, so our relationship, because I made them all wear, I made officially, they all had to wear badges that said uh, media jackal. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so they had to walk, well, yeah, yeah. So when I, they, and, I, and if they didn't have it, they didn't get in. They had to wear, because a governor has the power to do that. <laughs> and, and then, well, I'll give you a few fun examples that'll make you laugh. I had a sit down meeting with the Dalai Lama. He came to see me. I mean, I was honored. After I got to know him and realized he's a wonderful man and has a sense of humor, I asked him if he'd ever seen the movie Caddyshack because there's that famous scene with Bill Murray where he talks about caddying for the Dalai Lama, a big hitter. It's yeah. a whole hilarious scene from Caddyshack. And I asked the Dalai Lama if he'd ever seen the movie. And he said he hadn't. My son was so embarrassed he left the room because <laughs> he knew I told him before that I was going to ask him if he ever saw Caddyshack. Well, anyway, getting back to the press, <laughs> um, when it came time for the Dalai Lama to leave, uh, we have a thing at the Minnesota Capitol, a secret way you can shuttle someone out of the governor's office and get them out of the building where the press don't know about it. And that's what I did with the Dalai Lama. I didn't want him to have to deal with the, the jackals. So we got him out of there and I went out and met with him. And I walked out and they gave me, they gave me the greatest lead line a comedian could ever get. And that was, now think back to the movie, that was, well, governor, what did the Dalai Lama say to you? And I couldn't resist. I looked at the media and I said, well, the Dalai Lama told me Gunga, Gunga Lagunga, which means when I die, I'll have total consciousness. So I got that going for me. And I turned around and went in and that's all I had for a press conference. The only press guy was the guy from uh, public radio, Eric Escala, sitting down by, hold his mic like that. He'd sit down there. He, his mic started shaking because he started laughing so hard. He got it. And that was the end of the press conference. One of the things that I admired about your term is that you had a habit of sending Minnesotans rebates uh, because your government had a surplus. Uh, what, how much were those rebates? Like how much were families getting? Oh, there were families getting some, some up to $2,500 or wow. more. It all depended on this. Here's, here's the rebate thing. When I got, th that's what compelled me to run. I was doing statewide talk radio. We had a budget previous to me getting there where they had billions of dollars in extra money. Why did they have that? First and foremost, the economy was powerful. Remember the nineties, Clinton? Sure. Yeah. yeah, you had a powerful economy back then. I mean, the wheels were rolling everybody's making money. Well, and obviously, because of such a robust economy, Minnesota's taxing too much. So their taxing brought in more money than what they budgeted for. They brought in so much revenue, they had billions of dollars too much. And what did they do? They spent it like kids in the candy store. 
it was their birthday and they got a big monetary present. I ran on that. Here came the budget surplus again. I then, here was my fight with Republicans. They didn't have a problem with what I wanted to do, but they wanted to do it in a income tax rebate so that one third of our money would go to the federal government. I said, let's do it in a sales tax rebate. You can't write off a sales tax. So therefore people will get a check. They don't have to declare it. Wow. It's their money. Andrew, you think they're not going to spend it? Of course they are. And what's that going to do? Get the economy going. They're spending money. They got money to spend and it's free money. It's their money. And you know, how many are going to bank it? Maybe a few. Maybe some put it to school loan. I don't know. But uh, it's their money. But I finally convinced the Republicans to do it in a sales tax rebate. And here's what it was based upon. It was based upon your income. If you're worth this much, we figured out, okay, here's about how much you'd spend. And this is about how much your sales tax would be. And that's the way we did it. I think everybody got at least a grand or something like that. I don't even remember. I'd have to go back and see. But it, it was based upon your income, but it was given back as a sales tax rebate. We copied, I think it was the state of Colorado had done that with something in order to keep the Fed's hands off the money because it wasn't their money to begin with. It was Minnesota's money. Why would we want to give the federal government a third of it? One of the weaknesses of the system right now, Jesse, is that um, in my mind, you have Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and other people who are trying to stand up within the Republican Party. And the vast majority of Democrats are just painting all Republicans with a certain brush. Um, maybe they're, they're saying like, hey, um, you know, yeah, good for them. But no one's really doing anything to try and preserve, let's say, in this case, yeah. Liz Cheney's seat and the rest of it. Um, so the Republican Party is getting overrun and the very few figures, another guy who stood up and, and voted to impeach Trump, who's also up for re-election, who has better chances, uh, Peter Meyer uh, in, in Michigan. And, you know, like they're, they're demonstrating courage on a level that I don't think most people appreciate. Um, and Democrats are not helping them because of just this bizarre polarization in the system where they look at it and be like, ah, you know, like all Republicans are bad, even the ones that in this case are trying to fight to preserve uh, democracy in the face of Trump. I think that the, the most dangerous thing we have right now, Andrew, is not the, is not the Republicans in Congress. I believe right now the most dangerous thing we have is that for sure we have two dishonorable liars on the Supreme Court. Yeah, that, that I mean, the, the entire country has been uh, very, very inflamed over the recent decision, which I disagree well, with. Well, no, the liars, and not even the and decision. The fact that, and the fact that they, they lied about they what lied. they do on the way in. Andrew, let me put it to you this way. You're a private sector guy. You have been pretty much your whole life. If you go in with a job application, and on that job application, most of them ask this question, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Now, let's say you have, but you decide I'm going to lie and check no. Okay, you get the job then. And six months to a year goes by and the company finds out through whatever that you lied, that yes, you are a convicted felon. Andrew, I'll bet dollars to donuts you would be terminated immediately. 
yeah. from your job for lying on the application, gaining the job, and who could possibly trust you again if you lied at that level? You would be better off admitting you were the felon that you were convicted, saying, look, I want to do right. I want to fix myself. You'll get some sympathy. They would probably hire you more by being truthful than they would. They'd fire you if they knew you lied. Well, you would definitely get fired for a misrepresentation, even if it's relatively trivial in your job application. That's true. You wrote a book that characterized the two major parties um, as two gangs, uh, and it had a really funny title. It was uh, the Demo Crips and the Rebloodicans, <laughs> which I think is hysterical. Uh, but you have been making this case that the two-party system is uh, destroying us or tearing us apart. For years, you've had direct experience running a state and uh, having to navigate both of those parties. Uh, and you've been affiliated with some of the other uh, third party movements in this country. Right now, you and I are aligned on the fact that we need a third party movement. Uh, you and I are going to team up on it and, and make it happen. And I'm firmly convinced that uh, the opportunity has never been bigger, uh, really, e even you know, in, in our lifetimes. So how did you come to this conclusion that these two parties or not actually trying to work in the people's interest. When did that click for you? It clicked for me over something very simplistic, Andrew. The fact that they have built an entire political system based upon the concept of bribery. The only way you're going to get an audience with any elected official of a Democrat or Republican persuasion is bring a check. You know, don't bring your problem, bring a check with your problem. And then you'll at least get your audience. See, they've turned our system into a complete system of bribery. And what's weird about that is that if you do that in the private sector, you go to jail. But here in the public sector, it's standard operating procedure. Doesn't make any sense. And why do we want a system based upon money and who pays off the politician? And because of that system, it then becomes a system within them of holding power. It becomes all the stuff with the, the redistricting and all of the garbage that goes with it. And the other reason these two parties that I want them gone is because of a very simple premise. And we're seeing it today so clearly, Andrew. They put their party before the country. Yep. There's only two people I'm commending today from the Republican Party, and I can't, but one of them I know I would, but the other one I can't believe I do, and that's Liz Cheney. Oh, yeah. Liz, Liz, because Liz, Liz Cheney, I may not agree with her and be the ultra-conservative she is, and I got a lot of beef with her old man. But other than that, Liz Cheney is showing what you're supposed to do, and that is when, it come, when push comes to shove, the country comes before the party. I wish McCarthy thought that. I wish Mitch McConnell thought that. And I wish these other power brokers had an inkling of thinking that putting country before party, but that doesn't enter into their thinking. Yeah, Liz Cheney's showed a lot of uh, courage and patriotism. And she may lose. And right now she's a pretty significant underdog um, in her reelection campaign. I've been tracking the trajectories of the Republicans who voted either to impeach Trump uh, or to oppose in some way. And it's really, really dark, man. Uh, I think there were 10 members of Congress 
that voted to impeach. And by the way, that number was something like 35 just minutes or hours before the vote was taken. And then all of them were getting death threats on their phone. And so the number went from 35. It's a little bit like wrestlers trying to unionize, a little bit, I'd imagine. So so it, it went from 35 to 25 to 15. And by the time the vote was happening, no one even knew uh, who was going to vote for it. So you wound up with just 10. And of those 10, um, four have retired and one has left. Um, and one of the retirers is uh, Adam Kinzinger, who's been very, very vocal um, sure. in his role. Um, but Liz Cheney is sticking around or trying to stick around. I actually said that if Liz Cheney wants me to, I will go to Wyoming in her district and campaign for her. And I didn't ever believe I would ever do that for Liz Cheney. But in this case, I would, because I admire her and the courage she's showing in doing the right thing. When you talk about why did all these other people run and hide, what do you expect when you got a criminal running the operation? A guy who has no scruples whatsoever, a guy who puts himself first before the country always, and, th and, and we've got 30% of this country that thinks that's wonderful. And see, I got a beef with him too. We're talking about Trump. Yeah. Where the hell, where the hell was he, Andrew, during Vietnam? I think he had a very serious medical condition, Jesse. Yeah, it's called bone spurs in his feet. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm jo yeah. joking. I mean, he's, he's you know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what he had. He had bone spurs in his feet. And that kept him out of the draft. You notice it didn't keep him off a golf course for his entire life. See, you got a coward. This guy, when it was his time to serve and his time to put his ass on the line, uh -uh. And I, I challenge people. I don't think Donald Trump has ever even been in a fight in his life. I mean, a physical fist fight. I don't believe he ever has. And yet he tells, oh, kick his butt. Remember when he stands up there at the podium and orders people around to beat people up and all that? This guy's nothing but a thug. That's all he is. Nothing more. I'll call it like it is. I'm Jesse Ventura. And anytime, hey, Vince wants a WrestleMania? How about me and Trump in the cage? Uh, we'd all pay to see that. <laughs> so you've been a champion of the third party movement uh, in part because you characterize these two parties as, uh, as corrupt, um, which I think most Americans are waking up to. And you've, flirted with running for president several times since then. How close have you come? What's the closest you've come? Uh, the closest I've come two times. The first time was after I had only taken office in Minnesota and I had flown to New York on some type of business that was before the 2000 election, the year Gore and Bush. And I'll never forget, it was the middle of the night. And I'm traveling in a limo to a hotel in downtown Manhattan, and I had the window down. And the New York construction guys were out there working on a road in Manhattan on the street. And we pulled up and stopped, and my window was down. One of the construction guys looked over and saw it was me. And he stopped what he was doing. He walked over and he pointed right at me, and he says, the wrong governor's running for president. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, this is a guy working on the street in the middle of the night in Manhattan. And he sees me and tells me I'm the governor that should be running for president in Manhattan, New York. I'm from Minnesota. 
<laughs> and uh, that was a time, and I couldn't do it because I have my own moral conviction that I promised the people of Minnesota I wanted to be their governor. Yeah. I had not completed that job. I will never seek another job in politics while I currently hold one, unless yeah. it's the same one, yeah. unless it's for reelection. That would be, but I would never halfway through one job go to seek a better one baloney you have to you have to fulfill your obligation and the promise you made to the people who elected you it's that plain and simple the other time was most recently when i dabbled with the green party and there it became what a mess uh, i learned the green party was completely fractured into two separate entities it would have required me to repair this two party and I was only getting backed by one half, not the other half. I would have had to try to repair that half, put them both together. And then in the meantime, quick run in and take on the Democrats and Republicans with a broken split party. Jesse might be dumb, but he's not stupid. And there was no way even I could accomplish that, Andrew. And I thought this was a joke. And they, they wouldn't, and I'll never forget, Fox News threw me in their poll. They threw me in with the two names. I was already polling 18%, and the Greenies wouldn't go for it. Yeah, it, one of the things that people may not realize is how fractious third parties are, oh. where you get in there and you see that, that it, it's people pulling in different directions, it's factions. It's Andrew, there's a term for it. The third parties is calling herding cats. Well, it, it's been one <laughs> fascinating and fun thing about building the forward party is that we're trying to build uh, the coalition. I joke sometimes about it being like Lord of the Rings, the gathering of the tribes, because different people have been looking at the set of issues. And my argument, which I know you agree with, is like, look, we have to change the mechanics so that new parties can actually compete against uh, yes. the duopoly. And so you might disagree with me on this or that or the other thing. It doesn't matter. Like until we actually reform this system, uh, we should table all that stuff <laughs> and, and, get, and get together on this. It's the, the old cliche of, of my old friend at Russian television. It's the big picture. They got, we need to look at the big picture and the big picture is a third choice. Yep. We just need to get that third choice on ballots uh, around the country and form a real competitive third party movement. Uh, and then I think we can contend and even win faster than most people imagine because so many people are fed up. But, you yeah. know, 62% of Americans want a third party, 58% don't want either Trump or Biden. Uh, and so one of the things that we are looking very hard at, and you could play a huge part in this, is having a third party primary for 2024, where we bring in people uh, who just raise their hand and say, look, like I, I'm running for president. I think Americans deserve more than these two choices. And then we have our own process, our own debates, our own interviews. And it's actually fair. Like every American who wants to participate can participate uh, in terms of voting and supporting. And I think whoever emerges from that process, whether it would be you or someone else, I think that they'd have so much organic support because everyone would have seen them actually compete in a fair process. And we kind of know that like there's a fix in on the DNC, there's a fix in in a different way in the RNC. Uh, so if, if there's this forward party, 
nomination process, like I suspect that Jesse Ventura is going to be at one of these podiums. Well, I'll say this to you, Andrew, and I told you this before off, off the record or on my show, maybe I said it there. You get me that ballot access in 50 states. That's what I need to see because you've got to get the ballot access in 50 states. Then the next step is get into the debates. That's, it's that simple. Ballot access, get in the debates. If that happens, these two parties can be defeated. It's that simple. Yes, amen. Uh, so you should know that we're working on ballot access right now. The debates is in many ways the easier part. Um, so the official requirements to get in the debates are 15% in national polls, and I'm very confident that whoever emerges. Yeah, but wait, Andrew, if it's 15 and you're at 16, they'll raise it to 20. Oh, yeah, no, they, they'd have some shenanigans. <laughs> but, but one of the other... No, no, the they other do that. They, they, they adjust their rates accordingly. Well, you know, one of my, <laughs> my great concerns, Jesse, is like, I'm not sure whether debates uh, will take place in the way we're accustomed to, because the Republicans have already said they're boycotting um, debates. I don't know if you saw that. And then, no. it, and, the, and then one of the things I was saying is like, you know, what's going to get the Republicans to show up is if you have a third party candidate, because then you yep. literally have like, you know, the, the, like, let's say Joe and then um, like a third candidate. And then the Republican candidate would be like, oh, gosh, I got to show up or else Americans are going to get confused and think that it's these two. Andrew, you see me? See I know. what I'm doing? I guarantee you if I'm there, I'll get Trump to show up. <laughs> it's true. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. hit him so hard he won't know what hit him. I'll shame him. He'll either, he, he would either have to run, cower, and hide or show up and face me. <laughs> Again, millions of Americans would tune into that. Did you um did you know Trump from the WWE days? I don't know if you guys are I knew him. I knew him from the WWE days, and he personally came and visited and congratulated me when I won governor because we actually entertained him as a possible presidential candidate. Because the Donald Trump that came and met with me in 98 is not the Donald Trump who ran in 2016. The Donald Trump that well, the Donald Trump that met with me was giving money to the Democrats. He was pro-choice. Yeah. He was, you know, he he had a total different aspect. And see, that's what shows you he's phony because he takes the route that suits him, not truly a route that he believes in. I'd like to ask this, Andrew. Sure. And we're only speculating here. Let's have some fun. Do you believe someone like Donald Trump and his background, having three wives and all the womanizing he's done in his life, do you believe for a moment, and I'm only speculating, do you think Donald Trump could have ever been involved in an abortion? I, I, stories are coming out right now saying that. I mean, where he paid a woman off that he impregnated some woman on one of his affairs or whatever, and that she got pregnant and she came to him quietly and they took care of the business. I mean, I find that that seems very plausible to me when you look at his lifestyle and the things. Well, remember his famous quote about the women where you grab them? Yeah, uh, for, for, <laughs> for sure that there's been a lot of, uh, let's say, you know. And I'm only speculating. Yeah, you know, no, no, I mean, most of us would, would agree with you on this. Um, to, to the point you raised on ballot access, in many ways, that is the, the hurdle. Um, but it's, it's very it's very achievable. Uh, each state has different rules. I mean, you went through the Minnesota version of it. Uh, there are 
10 to 15 states that we think we can get on the ballot of um, this calendar year, 22. Uh, and then by the end of 23, we'd be looking at something like, uh, you know, like twice that number, maybe 30. So we, so we could get there by 24. So I, I've, I've seen the numbers, I've seen the map. Um, this is all much more achievable than it's been at any other point. Andrew, how much danger do you think we'd face if, say, I won and we got our electoral slates on changing them? How hard do you think the Republicans would try to change the electoral slate then and send different electorates? <laughs> I mean, we, we, I would love for us to be in a position to find out, my friend. You know, part, that's what I'm saying that as having fun with it. You know, gee, imagine if I won, how quick they change those electorates. <laughs> now, people who keep up with me, Jesse, know that, uh, you know, I, I think we're in deep trouble now. Um, yeah. And so I, th I think that a positive unifying third party movement uh, is what the country needs, really. Like, you know, you have these two uh, warring parties that are both getting um, more and more negative and hateful, really, in, yeah. in, their, own, in their own ways. Yeah, so if we can bring people together, and you've been one of the great unifying figures. That's why I, cho that's why I chose to talk to you, because you're a go-getter, and my feelings towards you, Andrew, if anyone can do it, it's you. If anyone has the ability out there and has the drive and the smarts and the knowledge, you're the hope I saw. Well, thank you. That means the world to me. And here, And you're doing it now, and so that's why I'm on with you today, because I want to say that you got my support. I'll support whatever you do at the forward party to get a third choice to this country as quickly as possible in as many elections as we can possibly get them in. Let's get it. Because I, I agree with you. The country is, you know, I, I, I served my country and I took an oath to honor the Constitution and defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And we have a lot of domestic enemies to the Constitution right now. And the only way of defeating them is by winning at the ballot and uh, with elections and taking control of our government back. Amen. One American to another. Thank you for your service. And let's do it, Jesse. So pumped to have your support. And we are just skimming the surface of what the Ford Party is going to become. Um, so I'm super amped to have you aboard and, uh, and thrilled to consider you a friend and ally. This is awesome. You can hear me on here, see me and all that on Substack, Die First, Then Quit. That's the name of my show. And you know where that comes from, don't you, Andrew? That's a Navy SEAL slogan in training. Die first, then quit. <laughs> and for me, what it means is I'll have to die before I stop talking. I'm going to keep talking and then I'll, I'll quit when I'm dead. Leave it to the Navy SEALs to have a, a, an even gnarlier slogan than I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's gnarlier. Die first, then quit. Thank you, Andrew. I want to thank you very much for having me on. Let's do it again. Let's keep talking. Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. And do check Jesse out on Substack. I've, I've seen him and his work. He's working with his son on some great stuff. And we'll see Jesse again both on this podcast and around the country. We're going to head your way to Minnesota before too long. Keep the nose to the grinder, man. You're the hope. Thank you, brother. You and me both. Talk to you soon. 